In January of 2018, over 600 computers valued at $2 million were stolen from a Bitcoin mining facility in Reykjavik, Iceland. The mastermind behind the crime is named Sindri Stefansson, who was joined by six other accomplices. That night was only the beginning of this heist. What followed were prison breaks, deception, and what could be considered the perfect crime. This is the story of the Bitcoin heist of Iceland. From Yahoo Finance, this is The Art of the Exit. I'm Alex Sugg. It's no secret that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency have been discussed a lot in the past few years. In December of 2017, a single Bitcoin was valued nearly at $20,000 at its all-time high. Since that peak, the value has dropped significantly and it's fluctuated a lot, leaving many to debate the legitimacy and long-term value of the currency as a whole. We'll get to that in a bit, but first, let's get into the story. In Reykjavik, Iceland, in December of 2017, we meet Sindri Stefansson, a man with a history of burglary and drug possession. He's been clean for a while. He found work as a web designer and other odd jobs to get by. He has a family now. Even so, his appetite for wealth had always been difficult to suppress. He wanted big money and a big lifestyle. Cryptocurrency and Iceland are a perfect fit for each other. The country's climate and cheap energy costs are an ideal location for the industry. And we've seen a steady stream of crypto companies migrating to Iceland over the past few years. Sindri noticed the trend, saw what Bitcoin was going for on the market, and he knew he had to get in. Sindri began scoping the facilities these companies were moving in, and then he got to planning. Sindri put together a gang of accomplices, and they organized three heists that were planned out to the detail. The final theft is where most of the loot came from. So that's the crime we're going to focus on in this story. They were meticulous in their planning of the crime, but they weren't as attentive while actually executing, leaving many traces behind, which would eventually contribute to them getting busted. Even so, these were very sophisticated thefts. For this final heist, they knew they needed to be extra careful because it was going to be much larger than the two previous hits had been. The facility was in a much more protected area than they were used to, along with their target being much bigger as well. But they had a plan, and it all rested on the shoulders of one security guard who they befriended. This guard knew all the codes, knew where all the cameras were, and all the best ways in and out of the facility. After some heavy recruiting, they eventually convinced him to collaborate and help them break in. By the time they were ready to strike, they were all wearing jackets from the security company as to not appear out of place. They used the security codes to get inside and worked extremely quickly. In a matter of a few hours and lots of heavy lifting, around 600 high-powered crypto mining computers had been loaded into a truck by hand. They shut the door and drove off, taking their gold mine to a safe location without getting caught. 
So you may be wondering, like I did when I was first researching this story, why cryptocurrency? Why wouldn't Sindri and his crew simply steal something else with a little bit more of an immediate payoff? Cryptocurrency is a bit of a mystery to the average person. To most, it's a trendy financial term we've been hearing for a few years. But what exactly is it? And how exactly does it work? Well, the way I describe it in its most simplest terms is that it's a digital payment system. And even over the years, as things have changed and people have different conceptions about the industry, that's a a pretty accurate description. It's a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. This is Dan Roberts, my colleague at Yahoo Finance who's been covering cryptocurrency in detail since 2011. He's been watching the space closely from the very beginning. Cryptocurrency meaning you can't touch it. You can't physically hold bitcoins. Side note, that's why it's funny when news articles about Bitcoin always use stock images of gold coins. Oh, yeah, gold coins. Maybe talk to me a little bit about what was the conversation, what was happening at the peak, what was going on then? Yeah, I think that the best little anecdote, and so many people had a a shared experience where this occurred. I was talking to a venture capitalist about investing in certain tech companies, and he said to me, well, one good rule of thumb is, I know that when my Uber driver is asking me about it, not to invest in it. He said, so when Uber drivers were saying, oh, do you do crypto and Bitcoin? He said, "Mm, I'm staying away. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, December 2017, I think a lot of things came to a head at once. Uh, You started to see more stories about uh, institutions and banks being interested in blockchain. Mm -hmm. Uh, You also just saw general positive sentiment, more and more people being curious and educating themselves about it. But for a long time there, when Bitcoin would go up, everything else would go up. They were all tethered to each other. Mm -hmm. So a rising tide lifts all boats. So all at once, toward the end of 2017, all of the biggest cryptocurrencies were soaring at once. And of course, you know, uh, price begets price action. Mm -hmm. So the more that it rose, the more newbies who really knew nothing and weren't caring about educating themselves about crypto, they didn't care about the technology, they wanted to rush in. Uh, And then you had people like Jamie Dimon, Warren Buffett coming out and saying, you know, stay away, it's a bubble, it's a scam. And I actually think that that stoked the price even more. Mm -hmm. And that there were people saying, oh, now's the time to get in because the people who've been in this industry, involved in it, either working at companies, building things, or just investing in it and pumping it on social media. These people who are such big believers, originally the whole appeal was that it was outside government regulation, that it wasn't fiat currency, that Mm. it was libertarian. A lot of the original big names in this space are libertarians. Mm. And so I think that when they saw big names uh, in mainstream finance and Wall Street trashing Bitcoin, they liked that. And they said, this is good. We like it even more now. So I think everything just kind of came to a head. And you knew that it couldn't last forever, but it went up, up, up. uh, And then, you know, everything kind of popped. Back in 2017, another funny thing that happened was a lot of people who didn't understand the space before, but they saw that the price was going up like crazy, a lot of young people, unfortunately, they rushed in, bought a lot of Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. And then in 2018, when the price started to fall back down to earth, they dumped in a rush. And that's never how you should invest anyway. So there are a lot of people who um, bought high and sold low, (laughs) pretty much the opposite of what you're supposed to do with investing. And it's because they rushed in. And of course, A, what they should have done is not sold and not panicked when the price started to drop and held on, but also you know, pull back even further, they probably never should have bought in the first place. They certainly shouldn't have rushed in when they saw that the price was at 17000 and it was soaring, because the top could have been anywhere, and then sure enough, it came pretty soon. Sure. So there are people who, um, you know, they, they only ended up owning Bitcoin or Ether or Ripple or Bitcoin Cash for 
three months and yeah. they lost money. And that's just not how you invest. Yeah. And that's a shame. A lot of people, I think, lost their shirts among the hype. After the break, we'll hear how Sindri escapes prison and how after all its ups and downs, this may have been the perfect crime. Because of the climate and cost of energy, Iceland has become a leader in the crypto industry's growth and offers a lot of incentive for the business of crypto. Originally, they wanted to get the Facebooks and the Googles to move data centers there, but didn't have much luck. Crypto mining was a different story, and they've had a lot of success since embracing this new industry. They've built data centers with partial walls on a former World War II British airstrip to catch the high winds and are cooled constantly by fans surrounding the equipment. Basically, it's a giant warehouse with computers stacked on computers, all the way up to the high ceiling, sitting right in the center of a vast Icelandic landscape. Iceland is a small country. There are only 340,000 residents in the entire nation. For perspective, that is less than the entire city of Honolulu, Hawaii, that reside in this one country. The police don't carry guns, and there is no formal military. For reasons like this, Iceland is considered by many to be the safest country in the world. Crime is incredibly sparse, and people tend to trust each other. Things like hitchhiking are common there. The relaxed culture of Iceland turned into a really nice asset for Sindri to exploit. I spoke to Eagle Barnison, a reporter based in Iceland who covered the story. They got caught, and... He went to prison, and then he escaped from prison. It's like, oh, generally, you know, they get caught, they're awaiting their sentence, they're in jail, and that kind of end of story. Not him. He went to jail and then escaped prison. (laughs) So can you explain what happened there? He was in custody. He was arrested in... uh a few few months after the after the last heist, the police had narrowed it all down to him. He hadn't been charged yet, but he was still in custody and had been in custody for for quite some time. He was staying at the low security prison. We have what to the U.S. audience sounds strange, which is called an open prison, where a prisoner has pretty much the key to his own cell. But still, everything is locked up during the night and they can't leave the premise. But he he ran away and he booked the tickets in the middle of the night and left the country and was uh, on the run until arrested in Amsterdam. Explain that, that a prisoner would have the key to his own cell in an Icelandic prison. Explain that to me. Usually these are for prisoners that have behaved well or are in jail for crimes that are not violent or petty. They live in a prison that is usually in a rural setting. The idea is to, by giving them a little bit more freedom, they learn to become a little bit more responsible. They are allowed to have a lot of more comfort than you're used to in a prison. Like they have a TV in their cell, and their cell is more like just like a room. And they are allowed to see their children or their wives much more frequently. It's no luxury because it's prison, but it's still 
it's still uh, a lot different from 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 being in a in a cell. Is it proven in Iceland that these types of settings encourage good behavior long term? You know, I think that's fascinating. If so, um, like you said, you almost earn trust, you earn responsibility, you earn more of like what it means to be a responsible adult in the real world within the prison walls. Is that it must be a proven system in Iceland to work, right? Yeah, prisoners go, are, are less likely to relapse if they uh, if they have this sort of cushion to go back into the real life because these prisons prepare them more for the responsibilities of being in the real world as opposed to just throw them on the street when they've done their sentence and have them figure things out on their own is a kind of a sort of a something that kind of comes between what fascinates me about this story is where are the computers the police have spent enormous resources hours looking for the computers they have They've looked through all the electric usage in the entire country. They have just to see if there's any kind of unusual usage in a, in a tiny home or a, on a, or a remote farm. And they've raided a few places, but they never found the computers. And the computers are somewhere, probably plugged into power, creating a cryptic coin. Creating, creating a Bitcoin or other cryptocurrency, which is an untraceable currency. So making money for the guys who have been sentenced, but in a way they got away with uh, the perfect crime because they stole things that creates value without having to sell it again. I, I'm almost sure that the computers are working on their behalf while they serve time because otherwise they would have given them up. They instead get, didn't give them up and ha were, were sentenced to pay these companies quite a lot of money in damages, but probably they'd made all that money already from just having those computers mine Bitcoin when Bitcoin was incredibly valuable. What strikes me about this heist is that despite the countless searches and resources being poured into finding the stolen computers, nothing has been found. They've tracked energy use across the country and chased a bunch of other leads that never got anywhere. Eagle believes that these 600 computers are set up somewhere, mining crypto. And I don't think he's wrong. After Sindri is released and these computers have been running for their entire sentence, they'll have a pile of cash waiting on the other side. It's pretty genius, really. Steal something that generates money while you're in jail for stealing it. When Sindri escaped prison and boarded a plane to Stockholm, he was greeted with a little surprise. There was a familiar face on the plane. As he began walking to his seat, he notices the Prime Minister of Iceland was flying business class only a few rows away from him. That had to have been a little uncomfortable. You know, having just escaped prison, you're at large for millions of dollars, and now you have to sit by the most heavily guarded and high-profile person in your country? Sometimes funny coincidence happens, but this one probably wasn't very funny to Sindri. He got through the flight unnoticed, but was caught shortly after landing in Stockholm. He's currently serving his sentence, and I imagine security is a little tighter on his cell this time. 
He might have the last laugh though, because while he's behind bars, there's a very good chance he'll come out a much richer man on the other side of his sentence. Talk about passive income. The Art of the Exit is produced by Yahoo Finance at our studios in New York City. This episode was written, edited, and produced by me, Alex Sugg. Thank you to Eagle Barnison for your time in contributing to this episode. Also, a big thank you to my colleague Dan Roberts for your contribution and for schooling us all on the basics of crypto. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review there and share the story with your friends. We'll be back soon with another new episode. So until then, thank you for listening to The Art of the Exit. Exit.